On this episode of Doctor Who's That, we talk about Moss Hands, the Space Lockhorns, and Stanley Kubrick. Welcome back to Doctor Who's That. I am your expert Doctor Who host, Sean Gleason. Joining me, as always, is Andy. Hello, I am Andy. I'm your modern Doctor Who fan. And Bay. No force in the universe can stop the Bayard. <laughs> and joining us this week, we have Dan. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm the guest this week. <laughs> <laughs> And we are here to it's like talk- the most saltines <laughs> intro ever. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to be talking about episodes one through four of the Daleks Master Plan, also known by the by the amazing alternate title, the Daleks Part Four. I'm glad they went with the Master Plan then. <laughs> the Master Plan. They must have been going for like a final solution sounding title, weren't they? Because Possibly. like it sounds very authoritarian, very yeah. yeah th- th- like everything about the Daleks is pretty much a very a like Nazi. Fascist. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we've already like I right. think this is where we're really starting to get, and we'll talk about that when it kind of when it kind of happens. But this is where we start to develop some of like further develop some of the just like you know absolute unforgiving you know no failure will be tolerated dalek attitude that makes them you know pretty unique i think as antagonists Mm. so we'll go on to our state of the union this story aired between november the 13th of 1965 and january the 29th of 1966 for a total of a massive 12 parts. So we're like seasonally appropriate right here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, since they the previous Christmas, the Christmas of 1964, was a Dalek-fueled success. So the BBC decided that this was the perfect time for a new Dalek story. You gotta sell more toys. Exactly. I bet, I bet they did, too. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> And when it comes to getting stuck with this 12-parter, John Wiles and Daniel Tosh were not happy to be stuck with this monstrosity of a story. Wiles did manage to convince the BBC to give them an extra £3,000 for the story's budget, though, because the controller of BBC One viewed Doctor Who as basically the Daleks plus some filler. <laughs> And while there's a, later on, many years down the road, we have a season-long story arc that's 14 episodes. This is the longest story with like a single plot line and a single production code. So Hmm. this is about as long as it gets. 
Like ever? Yep. Wow. Yeah, I think you're, yeah, I mean, like, I certainly don't recall anything, like, you know, aside from the whole, like, modern conceit of, like, that, the, like, one, yeah. you know, story thread that, that goes through a season. I don't recall any modern Doctor Who singular, like, stories taking this long. So, no. so you're no. telling me we're about to jump the shark. <laughs> In terms of I mean, <laughs> episode length. <laughs> we'll get to that, my friend. <laughs> I am... I am, I am, yeah, I am. This was am, rough for you, wasn't it? I am salty enough to cause a heart attack. Oh, man. <laughs> I just, anyway. So the writing of this story was split between Terry Nation, who wrote episodes one through five and episode seven, and Dennis Spooner, who wrote the rest of it. Now, there's some stories about how much exactly Terry Nation wrote. According to Daniel Tosh... Nation only submitted 24 pages total for his episodes, which he dropped off at his home late one night about 10 days before filming began, as Nation was on his way out of the country to go to New York. And Tosh claims that he ended up having to write most of Terry Nation's episodes. He says that the notes that he got from Nation mostly consisted of descriptions of spaceships, some future names, a handful of costume descriptions, a description of Mavic Chen, and about eight total lines of dialogue. So it was like flavor and fluff. Yeah. So basically, like, he was the, quote, ideas guy. And just <laughs> trusted him to actually do the grunt work and write the story. Yeah, that's what okay. Tosh has to say. Tosh goes on to say that when Douglas Camfield, the director, was filming all the specialty shots and model shots, there was no script yet. He had no idea what the story would be. And he basically had to make stuff up himself. Oh my God, that would be terrifying. <laughs> oh, my God. Now... A Doctor Who historian named David Brunt took a look at some of this stuff, and he says that the evidence doesn't really support Tosh's story. From what he's been able to find, Nation submitted 30 pages each for five of the episodes. The only episode that he didn't really submit much for was episode seven, which is odd because he had specifically traded with Spooner to write that episode. But yeah, the um, evidence shows that Tosh really just polished some dialogue and cut some scenes on the other five. So yeah, that's why you can't always trust what Tosh and Wiles have to say. They seem to embellish the stories of their time periods just a little bit. So, yeah, it might be hard to tell exactly what's true and what's not, but the evidence actually supports that Nation did work when writing this story. I'm not sure if that makes it better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) So, the important people involved here, we have the director, Douglas Camfield, who, you know, we've seen him before with things like the Crusades. And yeah, he had a tendency to rehire actors and people who he'd worked with before or he liked from previous auditions. Since Camfield really liked to run his shoots like a military operation to the point where he gave his staff military ranks. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's so weird. <laughs> and he also had a tendency when a you know problem arose and they had to come up with a solution to solve some sort of shooting issue. He would hold up a pound note as a reward to whoever came up with the best solution to solve whatever problem they ran into. So, yeah, he ran interesting shoots. Seems very transactional. <laughs> I, I think, that, I mean, that's kind of cool, right? I can see that kind of having a fun, you know, startup style energy, just not for too long. You know, sometimes <laughs> you have like uh, little little sections of, of like, got to get stuff done, crunch time, where I think that kind of thing can be appropriate. But uh I, I somehow get the feeling he was holding up a lot of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Tosh credits Camfield with basically saving this production. While Camfield says that a lot of the credit goes to his production assistant, Victor's Riddleis, who you might remember as the hand that the ants crawled on during the Crusades. I'm sorry, what's his name again? Victor's Riddleis. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, the hand. Yes. I was like, wait, ants? No, that was the Zarbi. No, I remember <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I totally forgot that plot line. <laughs> Some behind the scenes stories says that Camfield rewrote a lot of the dialogue on the fly as the story was being rehearsed. So, yeah, a lot of credit probably goes to Camfield for making something out of this story. Uh, the cast members that we have, of course, there's Kevin Stoney, who played Mavic Chen. And Stoney, um, he was in the Air Force in World War II and afterwards turned to acting. He was very prolific during the 60s and 70s with almost 200 credits, mostly in television. And he'd go on to play memorable villains in two other Doctor Who stories besides this. Nice. I mean, he was like really chewing the scenery. Yeah. I, I enjoyed his performance. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was good. We'll get to him. <laughs> Apparently, there was a Doctor Who fanzine that reported he died in 1985. So it shocked everybody when he showed up at a convention in 1987. <laughs> he actually died in 2008 from skin cancer. Aww. And maybe it's whatever, like, spray tan thing <laughs> yeah. that they put on him in these episodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, wasn't he blue? Yes, he was. Okay. They Good. blued him. Da-ba-dee-da-ba-da. <laughs> Because I got to say, in the black and white, it, lo it, yeah. it looks problematic. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> Especially like with the name, you know, his like name is supposed to be Chen and, yeah. you know, white actor. But if he's blue, eh, I'm cool. I think I, I didn't. I didn't really get what his name was until I saw the credits. I thought it was Magic Chen. And like, <laughs> why? Like, oh, well, no. Mavic. I was like, okay. Mavic, first of all, isn't a human name. It's a future uh, so, name, like Cal. Or like everyone from Star Wars. But it took me a little while to even figure out if he was supposed to be human. And <laughs> I settled on thinking he probably was supposed to be... I hate to well, even, they call him the guardian of the solar system, right? It's Maybe possible. Part, part Chinese? I'm not sure. Well, no, I mean, like, Chinese people are people colored, right? Like, he was blue. Blue is not a normal people color. Because I read something about them, like, making the makeup so it looked like he had a fold to his eye. Well, I mean, if that's the case, then, you know, like, we're getting into some difficult territory I there. I know, I know. But at the same time, he was blue. 
Yeah, it's possible that that's what they were going for. But in black and white, he's just gray. That's true. And a slightly darker problematic gray. But like knowing <laughs> that he is blue, I feel like somehow better, I guess. Yeah. Like I'm, my, my main question is like, who elected this? Smurf? What were they going for here? Right. Like, were they going for, well, in the future, you know, humans have, um, you know, widely different colors of skin because it's you know the future and you can whatever you can just pick your skin color and like everybody's just kind of a mishmash of races or whatever and that seems cool enough but like i'm not sure i want to give but Terry he's Nation. the only one from the storyline that we see who looks like that right yeah. there's that yeah there's that now granted we don't know if the bald guys were supposed to be i don't know shoot they could have been purple for all we know but like I don't know if I want to give Terry Nation enough credit to like be that kind of Kim Stanley Robinson forward-thinking human body mod in the I future mean, kind of stuff. It's very possible that they just decided that blue looked best on camera. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, future and people so that's are like, is, yeah. I want to talk about him later too because like, what's his deal? I still don't know his deal. Another actor we have here is Nicholas Courtney, who played Brett Vion. We'll hold off a bit on talking about him until he reappears, because next time we'll see him, he'll be playing the character that he's most remembered for on Doctor Who, and one that he'd spend the next, oh, off and on 20 years or so playing. Brett Vion definitely sounds like a Star Wars guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Especially with only the one T. But Nicholas Courtney was Douglas Camfield's backup choice for Richard back in the Crusades. Okay, and I can see that. When he was looking for somebody to play Brett, that's who he went with. And speaking of the Crusades, we also have Jean Marsh, who played Joanna here as Sarah Kingdom. I oh, recognized her. Yeah, and yeah. Then, like, made that link back to Willow. Yeah. The survival or lack thereof of this story. Uh, one issue was that much like the prequel to this, um, Mission to the Unknown, this story wasn't sold overseas. Of the several places within the Commonwealth that it was sent, a lot of them chose not to show it, like in Australia, where it was deemed to be unsuitable for minors. Hmm. We're only four in, so I'm <laughs> not quite sure why, but maybe we'll get to it. Maybe the violence level? Yeah. Some episodes of this story were actually the first ones ever to be wiped, which happened on August 17th, 1967. And the rest of the episodes were wiped two years later. When you're saying wiped, like they decided to reuse the tapes that they've yep. been stored on? Yep. Wow, they're cheap. <laughs> so there were some film copies of some of the episodes that were kept until sometime between 1972 and 76, when those were also either destroyed, disappeared, or whatever. So for a while, they only had bits and pieces and some clips. Episodes 5 and 10 turned up in the basement of a Mormon church in South London in 1983, along with some other BBC film cans. That's so crazy. No one knows what they were doing there, how they got there, but that's how the first couple of episodes that were found of this uh, showed up. Thank you, Church of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> like, I love, I love that it's that much of a mystery. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, can you imagine finding that and being like, what the hell? You know, and then like, and, and, and even once it's revealed what they are, 
no one figure no one can figure like who 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 put these here like that's so that's so yeah. funny right like, who who some, or or some or some uh yeah right some time traveling i don't know yeah and aside from that there were just you know bits and pieces of clips for the most part like the surviving bits that we have of episodes three and four were pieces that were used on the show Blue Peter in 1973. Uh, the surviving clips from episode one were found in a random film can in 1991. And episode two, which is the other surviving episode of this serial, turned up at the home of the former head of engineering at Yorkshire Television who had kept it and returned it in 2004. Wow. What a journey. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, things that were going on behind the scenes with our ongoing feud between William Hartnell and John Wiles. Uh, John Wiles says that he was even more exasperated than usual with William Hartnell during this story and his tendency to deviate from and omit scripted lines throughout. Although, much like Tosh's claim about Nation, this also isn't really supported by the evidence. Well, he would have been, you know, in full-on tantrum mode. Yeah. After It does Vicky seem like there's a lot of behind-the-scenes character assassination going on here. Like, this seems to be a very high school politicking show in some yeah. regards. Like, there's a lot of mean girls stuff going on in the <laughs> Doctor Who backstage. Yeah. yeah, well, there were also William Hartnell tantrums because apparently William Hartnell had some sort of feud with a dresser behind the scenes, which led to a brief crew strike during this story. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you put me in this coat? <laughs> stirring it all up. And to add fuel to the fire, in December, William Hartnell gave an interview in which he claimed that he would be leaving the show soon. This was probably meant to be a shot at Wiles and Tosh's leadership. But when Wiles heard about this, he responded extremely enthusiastically and presented an idea to the BBC on how to write Hartnell out. Hartnell quickly backtracked on his statements, saying he had complete faith in the show and looked forward to the day it would be in color. And Wiles responded to this by letting the BBC know that either Hartnell goes or I go. Whoa, now that is how you call a bluff. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I might be leaving. Yeah, he's done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see how this goes as things go on. I really hope Wiles goes. (laughs) Just for the record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. For real. I mean, it's as much of a pain as I am certain Hartnell could be. Man, f*** Wiles. (laughs) (laughs) If we get back to Earth, I'll have every fool in 6E court-martialed. If we get back to Earth? If central communications have gone dead on us, we have no hope. No, we're not dead yet. Don't fool yourself. They're out there looking for us right now. They'll find us and then... All right, all right, they may well find us. But we've got to get through to Earth. So, we'll move on to talking about the episode itself. So, we'll start with episode one, The Nightmare Begins. Except, it kind of already had begun. Yeah, yeah. Inside the TARDIS... Stephen's wound from Troy is infected, 
And the doctor's explaining to Katerina that he needs to find a special drug for him. Katerina, meanwhile, is still really confused about this whole she's not dead concept and wonders if they've reached the place of perfection. The doctor basically humors her, tells her, no, we've got plenty of stops before that happens. I'm going to go look for that medication outside and just keep Stephen's wounds clean. On the planet Kemble, where the TARDIS is about to land, Brett Vion is in the jungle trying to contact Earth Central Communications, and he's having no luck. Which is basically the exact same like, yeah. as the last time we were here, right? <laughs> yep. Just two different future boys. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into this now. The answer is usually no. It is. <laughs> However, since we've started with like these two in pretty much the same situation as our previous Space Boys, why? What was the purpose of <laughs> right. the previous episode... I'm sure that it ran through all of your minds when we were watching this. It doesn't quite make sense why we had to have that preview of what was to come, why it was placed where it was. You know, like I realized that there were production things that we've talked about um, that necessitated another episode. It just seems vestigial and you could have done without that entire episode. Yeah, but I mean, why would Terry Nation let a good idea go to waste when he could use it and use it again? Yeah, literally, literally again. Although this time he didn't get, you know, he didn't get cactusified, right? No. He dies another way. Um, I guess there's that a lot, added okay. something. Yeah, there's, all right. This be, this scene like begins my major complaint with these first four episodes and that they are just so filled with bickering. Right. Everybody is bickering. Like it, everyone is a bad couple. Like it is just constant. Like they're future bickering in this scene. And, you know, they've got to get back or the solar system is finished. Oh, leave me gun. Ugh. I, I see. I, I'm on the other side of this. I kind of like it when the characters squabble with each other. Yeah, it kind I of do feels too, like, like like Star Wars, A New Hope, you know, like. Most of that movie, our heroes are just like bitching at each other. Right. But this was like if it had been this to me felt like like Han, Luke and Leia sitting around the table for like three hours. Not doing just talking, anything. Yeah. And just talking, yeah. just like throwing shade, like catty <laughs> shit. Like that's what this felt like to me. All right. Moving on. Um, we have Brett Vion and Kurt Gentry, who's nearby, his leg in a splint. And while Brett is trying to reach Earth, Kurt's being a total Cassandra talking about how they're all doomed while Brett's just focusing on getting in touch with Earth. Otherwise, the solar system is finished. It is my earnest hope that the solar system may continue along this path of peace. This path that was laid by the signing of the Non-Aggression Pact of 3975. Now, in this year of 4,000, we can feel justly proud of that fact. May the past 25 years prove that they are the dawn of an everlasting peace which will spread throughout the universe. Let us go forward together, secure in the knowledge that the life ahead is built upon the cornerstone of richer understanding, not only of the past or of the present, but also of the future. 
And may it be this cornerstone, so firmly laid, be built upon in brotherhood, and bring peace, progress, and prosperity to each and every one of us. And in our reconstruction here, we have this nice little dissolve from the flashing light of Brett's communicator to the flashing light at Earth Central. Liked that. Yeah, that was a nice effect that the recon decided to do here. And there at Earth Central, nobody's paying attention to that warning solar system doomed light. They're like talking about a football match or something. Mr. and Mrs. Space (laughs) is what I called these people. And all they do is talk about 50s couple stuff, but it's in space, right? Yeah, this felt kind of real to me, though, too. I mean, yeah, but I don't, you know, like, oh, God, it's just, it was so like. Oh, well, I, uh, you know, I prefer to watch the space ball, but I know that you like to watch the space shopping network, so I think that we should watch the space news as a compromise. Right. They were kind of like the, the space lockhorns. Can yeah. we flip over to Mavic Chen? He's so dreamy. I mean, right, yeah. they were definitely leaning on a very common thing about, well, let's take a situation that's strange to people like this space couple, as you call them, but have them bickering about things in a way that people can relate to, so... I can definitely see why the writers went there with that, but like you said, it kind of went on a little bit longer than I thought it should have. And it's all, you know, what do we put on the telly? Right, and then and then they talk about space cars. Yeah, and then like <laughs> like you like you alluded to, he's like, well, you know, you want to watch Chen? He's so dreamy. And then Chen comes on, and I'm like, that guy, that guy's <laughs> dreamy. Yeah, I thought that too. And you know, Chen on the TV is giving his little speech. He's expressing his wish that in this, the year 4000, the system will continue on its path of peace and prosperity. I also wanted to point out, it sounded like it had only been on that path for the last like 25 two, years two or three decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a long time. Right. So like if, if that's the case. Right. Like bravo for humanity still existing at all. Because yeah. like if it's been like. Let's say, you know, conservatively, 1,080 or whatever uh, (laughs) years of war. Like, just assuming that between now and then is, like, the bad times. Like, we've got some pretty nice weapons now, and I guarantee they have them in the future, too. So, like, having Earth at all, I mean, you know, good for for Smurf Man. Maybe maybe he's blue. We've we've expanded throughout the solar system, too. Yeah, I mean, we need a guardian of the solar system. Uh, Once again, I I, I noticed some some confusion on the on the part of the authors on solar system versus galaxy <laughs> versus <laughs> planet yeah it seems yeah. like they they think they might be synonyms and yep. i've noticed this not just in this arc but a lot of early See, doctor I, that's the who. Thing. I don't think they do because i do remember one line i i was thinking this too but then i remember there's one line where they're talking about like don't they give like Chen sh- shit about the fact that well he's only a solar system guardian where the rest of us we've got galaxies yep. like I remember we've got entire that. systems that are great okay. it's like oh bleh. yeah maybe you're right about that by this point but I think earlier there was some genuine confusion yeah about- yeah, oh yeah no for sure oh that's sure. a very Terry Nation well thing. I don't yeah. know if that's because uh, the the writer you know Nation didn't understand the difference or if it's just because he didn't care he or- just didn't care it's gotta that's be that's probably right? what it was yeah. It was the 60s. People said, this is good enough for you. Take it. I can just see him looking at the page, right? And being like, 
okay, well, they're bickering because, you know, that's what I do. And um, <laughs> this one's complaining about his home system. And then I have this other guy complain about a system. And I can't say system in two subsequent paragraphs. So I'm going to put solar system here and galaxy here. And that's pretty much how I think it went. Probably, yeah. I mean, just keep in mind that as far as Terry Nation was concerned, the Daleks were the things that he wrote for money. The other stuff he wrote was the good stuff. This was just what he got paid to do. <laughs> it's it's just nuts, right? Like you can, it's like one coke binge, and like this is like this is what came out of it. That's like just what this feels like to me. He's just like yeah, and then they're blah, 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 and then they're fighting, and then you know, yeah, this will be a check. I I also just need to get back to for a moment. This is like imagining really dwelling on this for no no hold on hold on hold on but i like (laughs) imagining that like a couple thousand years in the future we're just gonna have space president like just space president not even for earth like the whole solar system yeah like one dude in charge of everything and he can hand the keys over to the daleks well you know uh actually do you space trump right well actually so you know what chen reminded me of it, there was uh, the head of the Federation in Undiscovered Country was also a white dude kind of made up to look like future space semi-Asian guy. Do you remember that? It was, oh God, what's his name? The du- it, I'm pretty sure it was the dude who played the dad on that 70s show. What's his name? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, Kurtwood Smith. He kind of looked is... like a Klingon, but not really. Right. He looked like some sort of like alien we hadn't seen on Star Trek before. Right, right, right. Was this where yeah. they like foiled the assassination attempt? At yeah, the yeah, end? yeah, 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 we, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah, we had Star a Trek space president, and he was yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but like <laughs> space it's the same guy. Weird is yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're you're right. They did they did kind of have a little bit of a similar look to them. Right. They both had white hair and like a medium toned skin. Right. And a, and a, a goatee. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. Anyways, uh, as they're arguing there or talking about what to put watch on television, the woman there finally notices a flash just <laughs> as it stops and they assume she's imagining things. So, you know, that very conspicuous, easy to see light that was flashing for so long, they really suck at their space jobs. Back on Kemble. Brett and Kurt haven't managed to find any trace of Marcus Corey, who they're, who they're there looking for. They just have found some Varga plants and some Daleks. Kurt now is insisting that Brett just abandons him, since he'd have better luck getting a message to Earth without having to worry about the guy with the busted up leg. Well, I mean, they also know about the plants, too. Yeah. And Brett eventually agrees... After Kurt shoves a gun in his chest, and Brett heads off through the gun through the jungle alone. Right, I I watched that, and I'm I'm just thinking, get out of here! You're going to die. Leave, or I'm going to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it's very tropey. Yes, in a brief scene that actually still exists, we see Kurt calling out for the Daleks to come and get him. And they happily oblige, and we get our first ding. Right. I wrote that they. <laughs> I wrote that they messed him up like so bad that we lost the footage again. Yeah. Because <laughs> right? we get like five seconds of motion. He's like, "Come get me!" And he's like, and then right back to stills. <laughs> so Brett rushes through the jungle, slips, and breaks the transmitter. Good going, Brett. Oh. 
Also, that transmitter is not built to yeah. withstand <laughs> any type of being dropped. As he's in a state of utter despair, he hears a weird noise and the TARDIS materializes and everything is going to go well from here on out. Nothing bad's going to happen today. Threat hides as the door opens and the doctor and Katerina exit. So I want you to do that straight away. I have my key to let myself in. Hmm? Yes, this child, key. This opens the door from the outside. Hmm? Now go in, please, and shut the door. The doctor tells her to stay behind and look after Stephen and completely confuses her when he mentions this weird little device called a key. <laughs> Charming. For some reason, when he said he had a key, I assumed it was going to be some type of space key. Like it would be a key with like a little electronic component glued onto it. And then I just saw it's it's just a key. Yeah. Well, I mean... I mean, I guess it is supposed to go to that police box that he drives around, so it kind of makes sense that it would look like it would go to a 20th century artifact, but I was just expecting a little bit more when I I heard about the the doctor's TARDIS key. (laughs) They they had a prison in Troy. They needed a way to lock doors. I mean, Romans had keys. Like, let's be very clear that. They had keys back then. Well, but, I mean, (laughs) Rome was a lot later. Oh, Yeah. I think they had keys in ancient Egypt. Not not to be that guy, but keys are pretty old. But but <laughs> keys keys are pretty old. I just didn't think that it would confuse her. I was frustrated where he's like, "This is how the door works. Don't open it for anybody but me." Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, he did a lot. Of- actually, a pretty good. She's not really good at taking direction, but that's not always a bad thing, as we see a little bit later. So the doctor wanders off, and he sees some buildings off in the distance. And, you know, he figures, hey, maybe I could get some help from there. Though he does acknowledge that a city in the middle of a jungle is a pretty weird thing. It wasn't clear because we didn't have the the footage, really. Mm -hmm. Is he looking down on a city from above? Like, he's on a cliff or something, right? He sees lights down below. Yeah. He sees lights, figures it's some kind of city. And as he moves along, Brett pops out of the jungle, gun in hand, and demands that the doctor give him his key to his machine, or I'll kill you. Back in the TARDIS, Stephen has regained consciousness, and he's completely confused by Katerina's statement that they're currently wandering through the underworld to the point where the nonsense of it all causes him to pass out again. (laughs) Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, that's about how I felt. (laughs) The TARDIS door opens and Brett walks in. Katerina believes the doctor must have sent him to help, and Brett's more than happy to let her think this. He finds the ship amazing, of course, and tries to figure out how to work it, messes with a few switches, though he's dismayed when Katerina tells him that only the doctor knows how to operate his temple. Not sure if his dismay is over the fact that she thinks it's a temple, or the fact that only the old man he left in the jungle knows how to use it. Outside, the doctor's muttering about how Brett has no idea what he's gotten himself into, as a ship flies by overhead. Back inside... Stephen comes to briefly again and manages to bash Brett with a spanner. It's basically the old Achilles Odysseus Action, plot. Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Soon after, Brett comes to, 
and finds himself stuck in the doctor's magnetic chair. I was so sad when he was alive. <laughs> who, wait, who, Brett? Brett, he was so I, cool. I, I, Until this point, I was just like, who is this person? He sucks, right? Like the actor. Like, well, no, he's he he like, he's better later. But like at this point, I was just like, oh, thank God, he got hit in the head with a wrench. Like, he's done. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> he left the key in the door for God's sake. Yes. Do we ever see this chair again? This seems like yeah. a plot chair. Yeah, it's it's completely a plot chair. It apparently has a force field capable of restraining a herd of elephants, but it doesn't actually seem to be in any way magnetic. I well, thought it was, I actually thought it was kind of cool. I was I kept <laughs> I kept thinking about like you know the do like the dune like you know personal shields that kind of you know like cling to your skin. Except hmm. in this case, it like holds him down. I was like, that's pretty cool. Never well, heard of that. I'm- I didn't mind it except for the fact that Katarina can still just like reach in his pocket. Apparently. And does. It's a special chair. Who knows? It's magic. <laughs> it's magic like Chen. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor has some questions for Brett. But first there's a city that he has to check out. Not going to bother getting any information out of him about it or anything. Just going to head right back out there. You know... Going towards an unknown city was the reason that we got involved with the Daleks in the first place. Yep, the doctor has not learned that lesson and probably (laughs) never will. I also enjoyed how he reveals to her, he's like, he'll be perfectly safe until I hit this little switch over here that will release him, which is a fact I absolutely did not need to tell you and will not come back to bite me in the ass later whatsoever. Goodbye. Like, that's how that went down. (laughs) I won't tell you how to, you know, it's like, yep. This is the switch that releases it. This is what a switch is. This is how you open these doors. I'm just going to tell you every bit of information you really don't need to know. (laughs) So, yeah, he goes back out into the jungle and eventually finds a rather hideous looking corpse with a spool of tape nearby. Now, never mind that it was a transmitter that we saw nearby Brett's body back in Mission to the Unknown. Now it's just a spool of tape. We did see him drop the That was dead Brett? Yeah. Yeah. That was dead Mark. That desiccated corpse. That was dead Mark Corey from Mission to the Unknown. Oh. Okay, that's actually a little bit better now. This is like I, I at this like my literally my note for like my single note for this scene is Doctor Wandering finds dead people, misses Avarga, who cares? Like, just, <laughs> that that But now I love it. Actually made me kind of like the previous episode, but again, if we remove that episode, you would still know that that's dead Mark Corey. Or it's still dead somebody, right? Yeah, and yeah. like this is a planet to be taken seriously. Well, they came there looking for Corey, and we later get that they looked around for him and missed him several times. Yeah. So the doctor pockets the tape and continues on his merry way to the spaceport where he's horrified to see Daleks (laughs) waiting for the ship from earlier to land. When the occupant exits the ship, we see that it's Mavic Chen, guardian of the solar system and the Daleks' new ally. The Doctor rushes back toward the TARDIS. Meanwhile, back in the TARDIS, Katarina's tending to Steven, and Brett tells her that he has some tablets that might help him, a word that, of course, completely confuses her. 
But she eventually lists, follows his instructions, does as he says. And as this is going on, Brett happens to glance at the TARDIS's scanner and is horrified to see that there is a Dalek approaching. Does anybody wonder if, like, an ancient Trojan would be able to get into those child-proof capsules? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, this is a 60s version of the future, so child-proof what? <laughs> right? like, well, yeah, let him eat rat poison. Cool. Rub some dirt in it. <laughs> Make him stronger. No, not, not an issue. <laughs> I, I thought the pills were just kind of in his bat utility belt or whatever. They were absolutely in his bat utility belt. Yeah. yeah. It, it did feel a little bit like I just happened to carry around the exact antidote for the, I mean, the ancient space man. poison. So I, like- I, I was going to ask about that. Like, was his uh, infection just a regular infection or was it some type of space infection? No, he got it in Troy. So he got it, it in was... ancient Troy. So it's something that could have been cured by 20th century level medical technology. Yeah, I was right. under the impression it was poison. It's probably not that much of a stretch that someone from the from the 41st century would have a pill that would take care of that without well, any Well, yeah, problems. I mean, like, I just imagine it as, like, some kind of, like, Larry Niven, you know, Jerry Pornell... Omni cure, right? You know, like, like yeah, those those pills cure, in the uh, right? in that Star the Trek panacea. movie that grow you right. a new liver or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Screw it, whatever. It's future. Like, I mean, like you would, you know. I think I'm going to say kidneys because I'm pretty sure it was kidneys, and someone's going to crucify me. Yeah, and we're definitely going to cut all this out too because I'm <laughs> I'm talking way too much about this suspension of disbelief crap. But that's what I do. To me, you would definitely like hue towards convenience in medicine in in the future, right? And if you if you can make a pill that solves everything, well, it's just going to be that one pill. Look, I figure if you're a spaceman, you're going to carry around penicillin yeah. just in case. Yeah, you got your tablet Whatever. Who that cares? unbreaks Morty's legs. Right. There you yeah. go. Right. There you go. The doctor arrives back at the TARDIS and he's horrified to see the do- door ajar and three Daleks appearing from behind it. Episode ends. A message from the Dalek Supreme. Operation Inferno to be put into execution at once and of all units. We move on to episode two, Day of Armageddon. Except there are actually <laughs> multiple more days in this story. Oh, <laughs> yes. man. So superlative. I love it. The Daleks inform base security that they found an intruder ship and they're told that Operation Inferno will be executed at once. We later learn that Operation Inferno involves Daleks with flamethrowers where their plungers should be. That right, was and not pretty very metal. good ones either. That was unexpected was and also pretty cool. It was metal, although I do recall them taking, <laughs> trying way too hard to burn down what appeared to be a single cactus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they basically had to hold it there for like a few minutes. Right, you could see the stagehand come in and be like, oh my God, screw it, and just like knock it over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that might have been why the Dalek flamethrower program was done away with. <laughs> I like to imagine that they uh, they decided to make those guys after the battle with the mechanoids. Yeah, like, oh, this could have been helpful. Yeah, why not? Aren't don't we mention the mechanoids in this? Episode? We do mention the mechanoids. I was very yeah, excited. There is a yeah. brief mention of the mechanoids because oh, that's R.I.P. that's they Stevens' point of entry. Back. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is, and the, I. You know what? They gotta come back, man. You remember how much like I I loved that that Rambo shit. Yeah. Anyway, all right. New Who, do it. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the doctor rushes back into the jungle. In the Daleks conference room, Mavic Chen is writing some stuff in the weirdest imaginable way. And I have to wonder, <laughs> is this how people in the future write? So it's great because the, he holds his pen super strangely with right. his, his pointer and his pinky. And <laughs> the way that he writes is just like concentric circles, yeah. pretty yes. much. I wrote down that he is alien writing verb, alien writing noun. <laughs> it, it just looked like childish scribbles to me. I didn't. Oh, exactly. I did notice it was weird. But they're like, all right, write like a future person. And he's like, yeah. okay, yeah, I'm just going to grab the pen like this. And then they're like, well, it can't be English. He's like, well, I couldn't write English like this anyway. Scribble, scribble, scribble. <laughs> it felt more like you asked a child to imitate doing business. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> That's what it felt oh, like. stocks and bonds. This is what and people do down at the business office. You know, well, I, and I couldn't tell if it was one of these these situations where like the resolution on televisions back then was so bad that you couldn't tell that he was just scribbling <laughs> crap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but like the whole like child <laughs> child doing business thing gets to my second major gripe about this story as I've seen it so far, which is, as you will recall, a repeated gripe from the last time. Uh, and that is that this is basically just like a, a just a shitty model UN. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's terrible. Like, and they're like, it's just, it's evil. It's like this Legion of Doom trying to like get together right? <laughs> and they can't make it gel at all and everybody hates everybody and yeah. it sucks and it's just like this terrible it does summit. feel venture brothers or something like that <laughs> yeah but without meaning to oh i love it I love well it. i mean the, so the door opens and zephan ah. <laughs> zephan master of the fifth galaxy zephan moss hands my boy yeah. I, I just thought that he was gonna end up being like oscar the grouch in a cloak <laughs> right <laughs> you know like those those memes of kermit talking to like dark kermit yeah. that's what it felt like yeah he came in and he was very much like a the immediate the media depiction of the hacker you know with his like <laughs> With his hoodie, and then he gets a little closer. I'm like, is that guy holding moss? And then, yeah. it, like, it's like, oh, those are his. Oh, yeah, well, he's just made out yeah. of kelp. His All weird right. moss arms. He's he's some kind of scarecrow man because his arms are always out to his side. Right. I'm not sure if whatever he had on in there, he couldn't move his arms, but they're always out to his side, straight right. out. He's like a moss man who talks like a like a like a 50s ad executive like he's <laughs> unlike everyone else who is always like what what would you do if they're you know? like he's just like yeah I, I the Daleks do not respect me and that's like <laughs> it's so weird it's so weird but I guess they were just like throwing things against the wall at this point it's like look yeah. we got a guy with rocks on his skin we got this guy and we made his teeth look sharp we got to do something different with this guy I guess he's made of moss <laughs> I, I was definitely getting some Monoptra vibes oh God. off of these guys, though, because, like, this guy looks like he's covered in boils and he walks all weird. Oh, he did have that kind of, like, yeah, like... Um, Loping. He he looked like the budget thing, but then, like, they made him, like, kind of, like... Mo <laughs> like, they're like, all right, move. 
And he's like, well, I'll, I'll have you know, I trained with the Great British Dance Company and uh, I'm a professional. And they're like, fine, just do whatever, man. And then he danced. Yeah. It's like, I'm an actor and aliens would not walk like us. And they're like, okay, bud, whatever. You're just set dressing. <laughs> uh, Zephon comes in and he asks why the guardian of the solar system would take part in this plan. And Chen explains that he's not satisfied with just controlling a part of the galaxy. The Daleks are monitoring their conversation, of course. And one reports to the Dalek Supreme that Chen's ambition outweighs his usefulness. But the Dalek Supreme is just like, I don't care. All these guys are just going to be exterminated when they've served their purpose anyways. For the record, the Dalek Supreme comes with extra beans and cheese. <laughs> I'll be all right in a minute. Do think stop? Oh, good, good, good. Brett says the time is 4,000. Mm-hmm. And he came here and only just got away from the evil one. He gave mm. Stephen some white tablets. And he's almost well again. Uh, I see, I see. <laughs> Back with our TARDIS crew. Steven has woken up again, and he's really confused because now he's in a jungle for some reason. Katerina explains that they left the temple when the evil ones came, which is no real explanation as, at all because Steven is still confused. The doctor pops out of the jungle, and Katerina explains to him that when Brett saw the Daleks coming, he helped them escape. Neither of them realizing they would have been much better off had they just stayed in the TARDIS. Well, and this is the first time that Steven really, like, has caught up with the plot. Yeah. And he, like, flips out because he was imprisoned by the... No, he was imprisoned by the Mechanoids, Mechanoids. not the Daleks. Yeah. But he still knows they're bad news. Yeah. So Katarina tells the doctor everything that she's learned from Brett. The time is 4,000. Brett came here and got away from the evil ones. She gave Stephen some white tablets, and he is almost well. Yeah, I mean, she, I, I, I wrote down, you know, she, cut, she catches him up pretty good. Yeah. Right? She, this is like when I was like, oh, she's starting to become useful. <laughs> you really didn't like her. I, I, no, no, no. I just, like, it's not that I didn't like her. It's that, like, I, I thought the choice to replace Vicky with her yeah. was poor. Because, like, you know, like, Vicky was smart and clever and useful and like I, okay yeah i get it it's a cool kind of plot conceit to like pick an ancient person who has no idea what the hell and like put them in like far future times but like they just lean so heavily up until this point they lean so heavily on her being just utterly worthless and stupid <laughs> that like i was just like oh god this is gonna get so tiresome but you know and and then this was the point where i started to have a little hope it's like okay they're gonna kind of try and like bring her into the fold and like she's you know, it's not going to be it. The, the ancient person thing is going to be there, but like more in the background. That's kind of like where I was thinking it was going at this mm. point. Yeah, I kind of appreciated it, but we'll, we'll, I, did I don't know. We'll, well, that's we'll, what I was saying. We'll I thought it was to... too much. I thought, but whatever. Right. Like we all know. Yeah. Right. So Brett returns and lets everyone know that the Daleks are burning the forest down. The doctor wants to rush back to the TARDIS, but Stephen points out that's probably what the Daleks want you to do. And we get another one of those bickering scenes where they're arguing until Brett tells them to shut up. All that matters is warning the Earth about the Daleks. 
And the doctor tells Brett to shut up because all that matters is stopping the Daleks. Quality bickering. (laughs) This is also probably like coming at it from an American standpoint, but and, you know, from someone um, in the 21st century instead of the 20th. But I was getting like shades of Vietnam from (laughs) from the Daleks, like just burning the jungle down. You know what I mean? That um, would have been it, it would going have fr- on during this time. I, well, I wasn't... See, I thought that that was a little bit later. I, I wasn't sure if there was supposed to be like some inspiration for it or not. It's possible. Hmm. I mean, there was stuff going on in Vietnam for a long time before Americans got involved. I had not considered the Agent Orange angle. <laughs> but, yeah. The Doctor reveals his ultimate plan of pure genius... Let's go to the Dalek City because that's the last place they'll expect us to look. And the look on Brett's face here is pure gold as it's basically saying, what in God's name have I gotten myself into? (laughs) So back in the city, Mavic Chen is admiring the magnificent power of the flame. Zephon seems to think that he's a valued ally of the Daleks, He even plans to make everybody wait for him before he enters the meeting fashionably late. Mavic Chen is a lot smarter than Zephon is, and makes it clear that he understands what the situation really is, and he's going to go and uh, get there on time. I also enjoyed their shop talk about like, "Mm, yes, well, what would you have used to destroy the forest? Sonics? Yes. (laughs) I think. I... So, okay, that's what was going on. I couldn't quite figure out what Zephan's reasoning was. I thought he so had it's like a syndrome. Vladimir Putin kind of power play thing? Yeah, Is that what's he going just on? wants to, you know, he's really just somebody who thinks that he's all important and wants to show everybody that he's the most important person there and all. And of course, that's when the Daleks decide that his usefulness is probably over. Well, I mean, like politicians do do this sort of thing to each other all the time. Yeah, yeah they do. But like, and again, uh, like it's not very well written. <laughs> why are we <laughs> yeah. doing this? You'd figure somebody who had spent much more time around the Daleks than Mavic Chen has would understand the Daleks a little bit better than to make this sort of play. Right. And then like, it's just the whole, it was, whole, it was just so very dry and stayed where they're just like, yes, well, <laughs> they can wait for me. And he's like, well, I'd rather not keep them waiting. And that's the scene. Okay. Yep. <laughs> What's going on? I haven't seen anything this, it's hideous. Well, obvious or not, my boy, it's quite obvious he's one of the representatives. <laughs> Our heroes have reached the spaceport, and Stephen is very busy admiring the ships there, while Brett is more concerned about the fact that he sees Mavic Chen's ship. Which looks like the lunar lander, I yeah. thought. It did, yeah. And yeah, it was super cool. It kind of spins down. Yeah. Brett is really trying to wrap his head around the fact that Chen is here with the Daleks, while the others just decide that's the best ship to steal then if you know something about it. They start sneaking towards the ship, and we get a view of Zephon's horrible monster Mossman feet walking along. 
our heroes happen upon him and knock him right out. Yeah, because apparently moss people can get choked out exactly the same way. Yeah. <laughs> that I thought about that too, Andy. So Steven's response to taking off Zephan's cloak and seeing his face is, oh God, what is this hideous thing? And the doctor's response is, well, obvious or not, my boy, it's quite obvious he's one of the representatives. Thank you, William Hartnell, for that gem. The doctor decides they can't leave here until they know what the Daleks are planning. And so he decides he's going to disguise himself as a horrible moss man and go to that meeting. It just kind of annoyed me because it's like, we never get a really good look at Zephan up to this point. Right. And so I was like, oh, the whole point was that he just wears the cloak all the time. Yes. Oh, right. Oh. And then he, the doctor steals the cloak, which I imagine just uh, it probably stank. It doesn't yeah. bother anybody that he doesn't have moss hands. Yeah. Well, it doesn't bother anybody that, you know, when he finally does go to this meeting, it doesn't seem to bother them. He doesn't have moss hands. He's capable of folding and moving his arms. <laughs> and he doesn't, like, boast vaingloriously about literally everything. He doesn't which... speak. He just bows. He has no idea where he's supposed to sit. And he doesn't <laughs> stink like six feet tall wet kelp. Right. Yep. That's what I thought. I thought they were going to go that direction. I thought Chen was going to be like, yeah, you don't, you are normally very boastful. Who are you, sir? But no. But yeah, before the doctor heads off to the meeting, he tells the others to get to the ship. He slips Brett the tape he found in the jungle and tells Brett that if they hear any uproar, any alarm, they have to leave without him and warm Earth, and warn Earth. Which, you know, impresses Brett with the doctor's bravery. Yeah, he's like, you got, you got Moxie, kid. You got Moxie, Grandpa. Yeah. So, yeah, the doctor in the cloak gets taken to the meeting by some Daleks. And, you know, he eventually figures out where he's supposed to sit. And the Daleks start talking about their plan. Apparently, they've made a time destructor. <laughs> Which is now complete. I can't wait until we get a look at that thing. And Mavic Chen presents them with his contribution. Terranium, the rarest mineral in the universe. Say, say, Shawnee. Yes. Where, where's the only place that you can find terranium? Yeah. Where was that place? <laughs> I believe it was a backwater planet in the solar system. At least that's how they first describe it. Yes. And they eventually let us know that it's... Uranus. Oh my god. We're grown men. I just want uh, that to be clear. You could find Terranium, the core of the device, in Uranus. <laughs> and it takes 50 years. 50 years to mine 50 that. 50 years to get like what? Like 50 a years stuff, mining like a deep into Uranus. Yes, thank you. Thank 50 you. 50 years to get a coffee cup sized amount of it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it can't be found anywhere else, and the Daleks' time destructor, whatever it does, is totally reliant on this stuff. Yep. Wait, they keep on saying the cylinder is like an M. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, it's like a measure. It's like a. It's like a measure of it, right? Like a. It's gram. one of those weird British metrics, right? Is it? It's it's a space <laughs> measurement. Yeah, it's got to sure. be. How many stone is that? <laughs> so, in the original script, the mineral was called vitranium. 
but they wisely decided that it would just be easier to cut some of those syllables for Hartnell. <laughs> right, because Terranium is so much better. It's like, <laughs> well, one less syllable. Yeah. I really was expecting them I love to that they say had to the think only, about it. The only place that you can get Terranium would maybe be on Terra. On, yeah. on Earth, but no, I whatever. just find it weird that the only place you can mine this mineral is on a giant gas planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Uranus. It's uranium. Oh my god, why didn't they call it friggin'? Oh god, <laughs> wait, there already is such a thing as uranium. I know. So that they have this this uh, amount of terranium or turbinium or unobtainium yeah. or whatever it is, and then they give it to the Daleks. Here, have the MacGuffin. I have important news. The time destructor is now completed. It only requires the core to be fitted. So while this meeting is going on, Zephon has managed to get himself up. He gets to an alarm and sets it off. Chaos ensues. Everybody runs out of the meeting, but they don't bother to take this all-important M of Terranium with them. Right. So the doctor just grabs it and runs. Yakety I actually thought style. the jig was going to be up when he wasn't toasting the end of the universe. with the Yeah. <laughs> they all... Do so, like clap or something. No, no, no. So like, it, I, 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 re- I remember this because it was dumb. Um, everybody <laughs> just is like pounding on the table. They're like, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. But then it cuts like, so it goes around the circle. Everybody's doing that except the doctor. And then it cuts to Chen who is just kind of like lightly clapping as if Golf somebody clapping. just made a good yeah. putt. And I was just like, oh, so stupid. I was just m- more like. Doctor, why don't you cheer the end of the solar system? Come on, man. <laughs> well, it's then they'd our see only hope. that he doesn't have moss hands. And also, <sighs> he might have rightly assumed he can't really clap with moss hands, can you? It's just a, just a, be a light rustling sound. I mean, best. he didn't assume that you can't, you know, cross your arms with moss hands, but whatever. <laughs> so, on Chen's ship, they hear the alarms going off, and against the protestations of the TARDIS crew... Brett fires up the engines and prepares to take off. End of episode. Episode three, The Devil's Planet. <laughs> Whatever. Right, weren't they, they complaining, but but what about the doctor? And Brett was like, yeah, he's being left here because I don't care about him. Well, no, he totally told him to. He was like, if yeah, you hear any exactly. trouble, leave without me. And Brett's like, cool. Bye. Don't tell me twice. So, at the last moment, the doctor arrives at the ship, they get him on board, and they take off. It's like, oh, you made it back <laughs> yeah. in time. You made it. That's That's nice. Great. Great. All of the tension. <laughs> Did yep. you close the door? Never mind. <laughs> yeah. <So laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. So, the Daleks <laughs> are about to destroy the ship, but the Supreme says, no, they must be caught alive. The doctor lets the others know about everything that he's learned. The Daleks have aligned themselves with the outer galaxies to take over the universe, or the galaxy, or the solar system, or something. Mavic Chen has joined them in order to gain more power, and their plans are completely useless because I stole a box. I think this is something very different. 
What's the matter with this girl? I mean, where's she from? Oh, it's all right. She helped us in Troy. She doesn't really understand. Troy? Yes. Meanwhile, Brett is asking what we're all thinking. What's the matter with this girl? <laughs> Stephen's answer of, oh, she helped us in Troy, does nothing to enlighten him. Right. He has no <laughs> like idea. Troy, oh, like she's in, from Troy. In New York? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. No, like Troy, as in, you know, <laughs> Troy. Troy. You know, with yeah. the horsey. It's the year 4000. There's a planet, there's like three planets named Troy, which we <laughs> yeah. get more specific. None of those. Deanna's named Troy. Come on. Oh, my God. That's a different show. <laughs> so back on Kemble, the Daleks are blaming Zephon for the loss of the Terranium. Zephon tries to shift the blame to Chen, saying that the intruders had to come from the solar system. Nowhere else knew about this Terranium. Chen just runs circles around Zephon's Mossman arguments. And Zephon's like, fine, that's it. I'm going and I'm taking these two guys with me. And those two guys are basically like Zephon who? Right. And the Daleks just exterminate Zephon. So ding, goodbye, Moss Man. We hardly knew ye. Doctor, what's all that supposed to mean? Oh, my dear young man, you ask so many questions. <laughs> Look at Katerina over there. She doesn't ask questions. She just looks and learns. <laughs> Back on Mavic Chen's ship. Our heroes are now wearing silly visors and looking at the Terranium, which Steven describes as like looking into the sun. Which is kind of cool. I wouldn't have mind seeing that if the effect too special to sh- to show, uh, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, like this was mostly reconstruction. Yeah. Um, but I think that would have been cool if it had been glowing, right? Yeah, like, we kind of get a Pulp Fiction. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, who knows? And now they're talking about what to do next. Steven wants to do something, anything. And the doctor pretty much tells him to be more like Katerina and be quiet. (laughs) They play the tape that the doctor found and they hear Mark Quarry's message. Although somehow that message has changed since he recorded it back in Mission to the Unknown. Nobody remembers. Yeah, exactly. Nobody cares. That was like one whole month ago. <laughs> right. This is the part where I was like, oh, it's the jungle guy's message. Yeah. And it's utterly pointless. Right? Which because is we're strange so- that they either didn't care that it wasn't the same one that they recorded as part of recording that episode, or they didn't have access to it for some reason. Right. They probably just lost it. They already wiped cares. the tapes. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they're not going to remember this crap anyway. And besides, <laughs> by this point in the story, we've already got, like, a Smurf to fight. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, as this is going on, the Daleks are tracking the ship as it passes the planet Desperus, and they engage <laughs> the randomizer. Oh, man. So, meanwhile, Mavic Chen is going to return to Earth to see if he could learn anything about these intruders. On the ship, Brett's trying to decide who to contact on Earth. Carlton's probably the best choice. He's the man in charge of space security. But he's also a close friend of Mavic Chen. So, as they talk, the ship begins to lurch wildly. And heading toward the planet below, which Brett identifies as the solar system's penal planet. 
Worse, there are no guards on this planet. Only prison ships ever land there. And if they crash there, they'll be stuck there forever. I thought this was a cool idea. It was, too. It reminded me of... This movie that I really like with Ray Liotta that I can't find anymore because it's not on Prime for some reason and this is a hill that I'm willing to die on called No Escape where he does bad things and then they put him on an island and then the island is the prison. But it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be when I described it. But like the idea of like the prison planets is is a cool trope and I liked it and I'm going to stop now. It's, it's not that different from like the Australia idea or... I don't know. There's there's another yeah. movie with like I think one of the Riddick movies. He's on a well, and planet. also you know uh, the aforementioned uh, undisco- Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country, where they right. put on the uh, <laughs> oh, penal yeah. colony of Rurapente, if you'll remember. Oh, of course. oh yes, <laughs> well showing done. to the entire audience now that I am definitely multiple kinds of nerd. Um, so yeah. So, yeah, they are surprised to learn that instead of crashing, they're going to land safely on Space Australia. (laughs) And the Doctor and Brett realize that it has to be because the Daleks are in control, which means the Daleks are planning to come after them. Meanwhile, down on Desperus, three extremely beardy men in a cave are fighting over a knife which I guess is how they determine which one of them is going to be the leader that day. I'm getting, like, Tribe of Gum flashbacks. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Yep. And Boars wins the knife. So, yay, Boars is in charge. Boars, Garg, and Kirkson. Yes. Kirkson. Good old Kirkson. (laughs) So it wasn't like... He's afraid of bats. It wasn't like any one person was generally in charge and the person was just trying to get the knife in order to... To usurp yeah. the, the, the knife is more like a spirit stick or something. It's like, like I have the knife. I'm the leader today. I got the impression that like Boris is typically the the leader, the knife holder, yes. right? And like every once in a while, when 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 someone else, I mean, let's be honest, Kirkson gets all uppity, then he's like, "Oh, you want to you want to take the knife? You want to take the knife? Think you big knife taker?" And then that this happens. Then you brandish the knife and tell and him you to know, do And, you know, every once in a while, Garge probably gets the knife if, yeah, you know, Garge. Boris is having an off day. Kirkson never touched that knife. Garge is like, <laughs> Garge is like the vice knife holder. Yeah. <laughs> Kill me. Garge, manage, Garge is out keeping watch, and he spots the landing ship, and they notice that it's not the typical sort of prison ship. Kirkson suggests that they go kill the crew and take the ship, and they hurry off to investigate. On the ship, Stephen and Brett are busy making repairs, while the doctor's complaining about these primitive ships, which just adds to Brett's confusion train, as this is the most advanced ship ever made. Stephen foolishly criticizes the TARDIS and gets an earful for it, while Katrina has opened the door and she spots some lights approaching. The doctor does some fancy science stuff, which basically amounts to plugging a wire in and throwing the other end out into the swamp, so really not all that fancy. <laughs> he gets well, he gets Katarina's help with it. I'm like the one person who knows nothing <laughs> about modern technology, and you're having her handle electricity. I did yes. like that line where she asks him a very minor question about what he's doing. And he says, 
oh, don't start asking questions. You're going to turn out like Steven. You know, just <laughs> just, just do what I tell you to do and don't don't pipe up. Right. <laughs> I also liked how he, this is like where he's like, oh, prisoners are coming on a prison planet to come take over the ship. How wonderful. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, And he is totally stoked about like, oh, I'm going to fry him when they come up the ladder. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like. <laughs> And he also <laughs> makes the fateful decision to teach Katarina how to use a switch. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Foreshadowing. It was so, oh, like, ham-handed. Yeah. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't notice it at the time. Oh. Okay. Katarina and I are trying to repair any types of boulders. Catic power isn't strong enough to kill anyone. But of course not. But it will knock them unconscious. Now, just you remember, young man, I have no desire to kill anyone. Now go in there and get on with those repairs. I want to leave this place quickly. So in the swamp, they've made it most of the way there, and Kirkson gets worried about the screamers, which apparently are giant bat things, and he runs away, falls or something, and the others just continue on without him because, I mean, he's Kirkson. <laughs> I love that, like, they've got the little wimpy guy of the group and he's yeah. just afraid of the bats and he just wants to go home but bats are scary katarina spots them moving and the doctor sends her to stand by the switch and wait for his order when they get closer he has her flip the switch which the prisoners find quite shocking oh god dun 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 uh-huh. brett pops up long enough to assure us that the cactic power that the doctor's using isn't enough to kill. Which the doctor says, but of course, I have no desire to kill anyone. I actually really liked this moment because I think it's pretty important. The doctor basically establishes that he will do anything that he can not to kill. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've seen like this entire arc for him. Like he basically... I'm not going to say pacifistic because he just zapped their asses, but, but this is this is different than the doctor who tried to bash a caveman skull open yeah. with a rock. Yeah, I mean, like this is definitely further cementing what I'm pretty sure they've decided at this point about the doctor, right? That like it is both a positive trait and a minor flaw, right? That he doesn't mm-hmm. he avoids killing. Like it's it's a cool thing that you know. He's a space pacifist for whatever reason, but it's also, you know, probably going to get him into trouble here and there. And that's a cool trait to have. Yeah? (laughs) Jim, so many strange mysteries with you. I know I'm safe. Yes, I hope so, my dear. I hope so. Katerina says to the doctor, you show me so many strange mysteries. With you, I know I'm safe. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I know what's coming. (laughs) At that moment, the doctor spots an incoming Dalek ship, which also has a bad landing, which buys them some time. They manage to take off, head toward Earth. All is well. And then Katarina screams. End of episode. And it is a quality scream, too. Yeah, yes. like that is like I I remember here I was like ooh she is working that one yeah we got to cut that one in there because that's the best scream we've heard since Susan I, yeah <laughs> I was gonna say you know like Susan's gone Vicky's gone got she a new wasn't companion. much of a screamer either right like no Katarina, but I'm just saying we pipes we've got a new companion and she's a screamer yeah you do realize <laughs> yeah. 
So, episode four, The Traitors. Somehow, out of all of these guys, Kirkson has managed to find his way upon the ship. And he's now holding Katarina hostage. I will say this again. Kirkson. This part I did not understand. And someone's going to have to help me out here. Because all I really remember is loud mumbling... And then Kirkson wants to go to Kemble. The like, so he is yes. he is he has just got out of the worst place ever, the prison yes. planet. <laughs> and he's like, "What could like?" He wants to go to the even worse planet. And then he says, "Does he say something about the Daleks helping him here?" Is that what I got from well, this? Well, what happens is that yeah, he says he doesn't want to go to Earth. Take me to Kemble because you know Kemble's nearby. I, I was gonna say the deal is he just doesn't want to go back to prison. Yeah. And he doesn't know what a Dalek is. He doesn't care that these Dalek things are there. Okay. He just doesn't want to go to Earth. All right. So I get it. he figures, you know, maybe these Daleks will help him. He'll be in a better position with the Daleks than he would be with the Earth. All right. Because they'll just send him back to Desperus. This guy doesn't scream education. No. To me. So, yeah, that's what the deal with Kirkson is. He just has no idea what a Dalek is. I'm cool. not going back in the hole. All right, cool, cool, got it. So, yeah, they try to convince Kirkson, you know, that they've changed course. We're going back to Kemble, but he's not buying it. Brett tries to throw him off by making the ship lurch, but Kirkson just drags Katarina into the airlock. Steven's like, I'm familiar with one of those. Yes, I know exactly what happens if you hide in an airlock. (laughs) Oops. Yeah. So the doctor tries to bluff him by threatening to open the outer door, but Kirkson uses his brain and he just scoffs, noting that that'll kill the girl. And if you do that, then I'll open the inner doors before I go out and I'll kill all of us. Brett decides that they're not going to be able to get through to this crazy man, so he just flips the switch, turns the sound off. He points out, look, Kirkson's not going to do anything to the girl in there. He needs a hostage. Without her, there's not much he can do. Steven ignores this, turns the sound back on to yell at him some more, while the doctor insists that Brett return them to Kemble. We'll figure out a way to deal with the Daleks when we get there. In the airlock, Katarina reaches for the door controls and ends up sucking them both out into space. Goodbye, Katarina. Ding, ding. Hell. I I could (laughs) not. First of all, called it. Yes, you You, did. You will recall that I. Yeah, I was like, yep. oh, they're probably just going to kill her right away. Dirt, dirt, dirt. How di- how little I knew. <laughs> I, I did not expect them to do something like that. I was like, I was joking. Cool. We have an ancient <laughs> we have an ancient companion. We've never had that before. It should be interesting. I actually kind of liked Katrina. I, I I didn't think that they would eliminate her so quickly. Yeah. I, I this was, was right upset. when I thought it was she was going to be cool. I was like, okay, okay, they're ho- hopefully you know, they're going to go for that whole, well, a person is a person of any age, like, right, which is to say age and time. You know, that whole old, that whole old thing about, like, you know, if if a, if an ancient Stone Age Cro-Magnon 
came in, you wouldn't be able to tell, right? And they would mm-hmm. be able to learn. And Encino Man eventually is the end result of a lot of this, and God rest it. But like, I thought that that's where they were going to go with it. I thought, okay, this this could work. And then they just suck her right onto space. Like, it, did yeah. she did she not sign her contract too? It made me very. <laughs> it made me very sad. I was pissed um, off. I was I was pissed off for the the actress, but I was like. I was sad that we lost that character because I thought there was a lot of potential. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like I I when she got sucked into space, I was like, oh well, damn. I guess I that's guess that. That's the end of her. <laughs> it just really raised the stakes for the entire serial, though. It does. Like, but then she gets like the shittiest eulogy too. She didn't understand. She couldn't understand. She wanted to save our lives and perhaps the lives of all the other beings of the solar system. I hope she's found her perfection. Oh, I shall always remember her as one of the daughters of the gods. Yes, as one of the daughters of the gods. Yeah, like, it's just like, well, oh, she, oh, she didn't understand, and uh, place of perfection. Her, her perfection. I will always remember her as one of the gods. Dio- one of the children. daughters of the gods. Yeah, daughters, or whatever. Like, and he just gives <laughs> okay, like this. She kinda... got more of a eulogy than Vicky did. Yeah, well, that was some, you know, behind the scenes schemery. But like this, I mean, it it couldn't have been anything other than deliberate. And then also. They like, they, was this in the, I, the, either this was, well, like, I don't know if this was in the original or not, right? Because we saw reconstructions. But like, if it was, they had like these two scenes just dwelling on their floating dead oh, bodies yeah, for like. Their corpses just floating just, through space. Right. What is up? That was absolutely in the original. What? Kids show. Yes. To a point where the show got a phone call from a movie studio asking how they did it because the director of one of their movies had seen it. He wanted to know how to do this because this director was interested in, you know, odysseys that took place. Oh my God. Are you telling me Trumbull, (laughs) Douglas Trumbull took inspiration from this. That is so cool. Because, you know, if uh, you guys know, Trumbull, I think, is the guy that he was the guy that did like all those like special effects for 2001. Like he was just like the shit. And I know this from the um, wonderful like Yodorowsky like Dune uh, documentary, which is if nobody's seen it is awesome. So that's how we get to to Hal and and Dave and that whole sequence. huh? Well, it's uh, I, who was it? It's Poole, Frank Poole that gets like sucked out into space. Yeah. Originally. And, you know, they, they got a phone call from the production offices of 2001 trying, you know, just wanting to know how they how they achieved the effect. <laughs> and so cool. apparently, it, apparently it looked pretty impressive and it's very sad that we don't have it. You it know, is. I am very <laughs> upset about Katarina dying, but if she died for 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> right. I, can, I mean, I I'm glad, deal. but I I. I do not retract my opinion. That's kind of weird and dark. Well, right? there are a number of stories about what exactly happened, whether or not she was ever intended to be a permanent character, 
or if she was just introduced for the sole purpose of killing off in order to raise the stakes of this story. Yeah. There are a couple of different versions. There's one version in which they say that this scene, when it was written, was written with Vicky in mind, and this was supposed to be Vicky's original send-off. Oh, that would have very much angered me. That would have that would have been real bad though. Yeah, that would have been that yeah. would have been a shock. And yeah, apparently somebody thought better of that, and they wrote in Katarina as a throwaway character. Oh my god, I just got like no joke, like some goosebumps thinking about Vicky being the one to go out like that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, that would have been worse. That would have been much worse. This is very sad, and it, I felt like it was sad because. <laughs> Katarina didn't necessarily understand what she was doing. Yeah, it's like watching a puppy get hurt, you know? (laughs) In that version of the story, Terry Nation's napkin full of notes went into great detail describing Vicky's corpse throwing, floating away through space with a, quote, Mona Lisa smile on her face as she floats away. God. Terry Nation's <laughs> warped. <laughs> the other version of this story is that they did originally plan to keep Katarina around, but then Wiles and Tosh decided that having an ancient era companion who would be very difficult to write with would just be a burden. So they just asked Nation to kill her off and write in a new character to replace her. Because, Sounds you know, feasible. it would be easier. <laughs> we know you're not a good writer. Yeah. <laughs> so either of these versions are possible. We're not sure which one's true. There are very conflicting reports on whether it's option A, where they meant to kill Vicky this way, or option B, where they just got rid of the character who was too hard to write for. Either way, it's either very cynically killing off the youth of Britain or very cynically killing off the person you just don't want to write for. Yeah. But no matter what, Adrian Hill was under no illusion that she was going to be on the show long because this death scene was the very first thing that she filmed for the show. <laughs> oh, Whoa. <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Poor Adrian. And apparently... The way that I'm not sure exactly how they all the details, but apparently what they did was, you know, cut some holes in a trampoline, paint stars and stuff on the ceiling and then film from beneath using special in camera effects to sort of slow things down and give that sort of floaty feel. And apparently that's how they did whatever this effect looks like, which, again, I we bet don't you that really actually know looked what it pretty looks good. Like. Wow! Because if they did that in like a dark room, right, and then they yeah. had her kind of like bounce, bounce, like bounce down, and then kind of like lay out on her side, and then like slowed it way down, that would have yeah. looked pretty good. Like, oh, oh man. man, now I now I wish that we I had really the do. actual. Yeah. Huh. Wait, is that how Kubrick did it? I have no idea how that was done. <laughs> they, they, I'm sure they would have. They had better resources to make a movie than Doctor Who had, even with that extra three thousand pounds they managed to get out of the BBC. Hell is only a mad painting. Yeah. So yeah, there's some shocked silence. We get our death scene, and um, yeah. Meanwhile. The Dalek pursuit ship reports back that the Earth ship escaped capture. The Supreme contacts Chen, 
tells him it's your job to capture them now. And he also orders the Dalek pursuit ship destroyed for their failure. This is where I was like, okay, yeah, this is the Daleks yeah. that I know. Yeah. Because <laughs> all of this ally stuff, I'm like, you guys are getting soft. Yeah. Yeah. I like this part too. I was like, there it is. That's Dalek for you. Oh, you didn't catch him? <laughs> we can just make more of you. Cool. Liked it. So, yeah. Trantis, another one of our delegates, this time with, let's just call them worms on his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turd beard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thinks that the Supreme's putting too much trust in Chen. But the Dalek says Chen's hunger for power will make sure that he succeeds. And the Daleks and our allies will not fail, despite plenty of evidence throughout the last three years that this is not the case. <laughs> Back on Chen's stolen spar, they're approaching Earth, and it takes the Doctor all of one sentence after Katarina's horrific death to start chuckling. <laughs> Brett decides that the best thing for them to do is to land at a plant outside of the city where he has a friend who can help because they're on a stolen ship after all. They can't just land it in the middle of the city. Brett does not seem to be very good at landings as they crash this time as well. Meanwhile, Mavic Chen is on Earth meeting with a couple people, including Carlton, the head of space security. Is this Mr. and Mrs. Space from earlier, or are these different people? It's Mrs. Space from earlier, while Carlton is someone different. Okay. I've really yep. been trying to work in a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air joke here, and I, I can't figure <laughs> the angle. They're reviewing the record of Brett Vion, who Mavic Chen has identified as a traitor the traitor of the title of this episode. While they're talking about all this, they bring up the fact that their databases have the chemical details on everybody in the solar system, all 40 billion of them. Bill Gates has microchipped everyone. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Mavic Chen has the information about Brett Vion sent out to all the stations and issues the order that he and anyone he's in league with are to be killed on sight. Mrs. Space from earlier happily leaves to issue these orders and Chen and Carlton can finally speak freely. I gotta be honest, I was surprised to see Mr. and Mrs. Space again. Well, just Mrs. Space, but... <laughs> well, I, I just thought they were throwaway characters that couldn't do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Who's in command? Kingdom. Kingdom. Ruthless, hard, efficient, and uh, does exactly as ordered. So Carlton assures Chen that no other operations are going to be undertaken without my express permission. But once Corey did that mission all by himself, by the way, I couldn't keep people from searching for him. And Chen lets him know that he has to do better in the future. I'd hate to have to lose you after all. Man, Chen is really like corrupt. Yeah, <laughs> I guess this is like a story all about how like my guardian got flipped, turned upside down. Bay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry. So Chen notes that he's only on the council because of that terranium, 
and he intends to rule the universe at the Dalek's side. To which Carlton says, and I'll be there behind you. Right, Mavic? Right? Yeah, sure. Sure. Sure, buddy. Sure, Baldy. <laughs> poor poor Baldy. <laughs> so Carlton has decided to put Sarah Kingdom in charge of the search efforts. And Chen approves of this, as Kingdom is ruthless, hard, efficient, and does exactly as ordered. Now, I will note here, they didn't actually call her Sarah Kingdom. They just said Kingdom, right? Yes. Kingdom is in charge and is ruthless, hard, and efficient. And then I thought it was kind of a clever turn when Kingdom is a woman. I thought that was kind of cool. Not only that, like, I thought it was cool that she was a, a woman, but also I saw some potential for her flipping. So did because I. Because they don't tell her the plan. They, like, intentionally don't tell her. She's just, you know, government agent that's great at what she does. Yes. Right, 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 right. Now, granted, well, we'll get to that. So, yeah, they bring Sarah Kingdom in. And she reports that there were three people spotted at the experimental station, Brett and two strangers. And before she goes to lead the capture herself, Chen says there's something she needs to know. A heroic war cry to apparently peaceful ends is one of the greatest weapons a politician has. So our crew is impatiently waiting for Brett's friend, Daxter. <laughs> and the doctor thinks that they're just wasting time, that people must be coming here due to their crash landing. But Brett assures them that Daxter can help them. Chen's probably made us all wanted men by this point. Daxter, I've known this guy forever. He's the only guy we can trust. He's the only guy who'll believe us. Back in Chen's office, Chen's finished telling Sarah that she has to find some stolen terranium that Brett has and sends her on her way. This is when we learn from Carlton that she completely believed Chen's story, that she never doubted him for a second, so we know that Sarah Kingdom's not in on this whole plan. And Chen says a great line here, a heroic war cry to apparently peaceful ends is one of the greatest weapons a politician has. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Wise Mavic Chen. That's actually not a bad line, but... Yeah, uh... oh no, Mavic Chen has some great moments. He then sends a message off to the Daleks, saying he'll be back with the Terranium in a couple days, and he also tells them that the fugitives are from Trantis's 10th galaxy. <laughs> okay. uh, I love this scheming. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so bad. So, um, Zephin, wasn't he from gal the fifth galaxy? Yep. Yep, Zephin's from the fifth galaxy, but Zephin's been taken care of. The Daleks have already killed him. So now Chen's moved on to getting rid of Trantis. What was the galaxy? Wasn't Trantis there is like Galaxy a 3, I think. Okay. Yeah. Get your galaxy straight, Bay. No, no, there were multiple galaxies, and I remember, I couldn't remember if it was Planet or Galaxy 5? Galaxy 4, the episode. Galaxy 4, okay, so I'm in the complete wrong galaxy. Yeah. I got my numbers all off. <laughs> it's all canon. So, yeah. Trantis, of course, denies this accusation, and rightly says that this is Chen just trying to undermine the balance of the council for his own needs. 
And the Daleks are like, well, we'll sort it out later after we get back the Terranium. So at the experimental plant, Daxter has finally shown up. We might even call it Daxter's Laboratory. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> oh, God. <Boo. laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's so definitely da- staying in. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been told all about Chen and the Daleks. He finds it hard to believe, but the doctor assures him it's very real, as is Chen's lust for universal power. So, you know, we've done everything we need to do. Now Stephen and I have to get back to Kemble, which leads Daxter to ask if that's where they left the Terranium. The the doctor notices this and accuses Daxter of being a traitor because they never mentioned the Terranium. Classic doctor. Yes. The old revealing too much information for a traitor kind of thing, right? Exactly. Never gets old. I never said she was a woman. I never said she drowned. Daxter tries to talk his way out of it, but Brett Vion ends up shooting him dead. The doctor calls Brett a brainless idiot and says, how many times have I told you about taking lives? The answer, of course, is none. You've never told him not to take lives. So now we can't get information out of this guy on who to trust. Yeah. Yep. Can't put him in the magic chair and put the battery connectors on him. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's back on Campbell for one thing. True. Oh, shoot, you're right. We're at, yeah, yeah, the whole right. TARDIS is back there. I mean, they have, they have to get back TARDIS. there. Exactly. So Brett decides that he's going to go to the security building to send out a warning. But before he can, Sarah Kingdom shows up. Brett's happy at first, as she's just the person they need. And then she demands that he hand over the Terranium. And then we get to see how good Sarah is at what she does. (laughs) Well, he's like, et to kingdom. Yes. At Brett's insistence, the Doctor and Steven Taylor run away as Jeannie's got a gun. And Brett oh. asks, <laughs> "Wow!" <laughs> and Brett asks her to please listen. She demands the terranium again, and of course, Brett assumes that she's in on the plot and goes for his gun. I'm but just... she shoots him dead and searches his body. Ding for Brett Vion. Oh, Brett, buddy, we barely knew you. Also, you just snuck it in there. Did you get to the end of the episode and you're like, haven't made a Steven Taylor, bud? <laughs> oh, I was planning that one ever since I first started doing these Aerosmith ones. Oh, man. <laughs> that, one was, that one was the big plan for... <laughs> that. This is where it was all leading, folks. Oh, my God. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here, yeah. So when she finds nothing, she calls for one of her men and tells him the others must be shot on sight and aim for the head. Remember, kids, aim for the head. Learn from Thor's mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yep, that is where we are going to be pausing our run through for today. I just have a few other things to say before we go, if I can find my notes. 
Um, let's look at our reactions to the story so far through these first four episodes. Are we leaning? Where are we leaning? Thumbs up, math, thumbs down. Andy, you have a great look on your face. So where are you leaning right now? Andy? <laughs> he was so sure. salty. Ed. He was so salty coming into this. <laughs> I was because they friggin killed her like right away. I was so mad. I was like, what are we doing? I, I'm again, I I'm not the the I guess the redeeming thing about this story so far is how clown shoes complicated it is. Like it is so <laughs> all over the place. But like at the same time, the bulk of it is still just people doing these like little like, you know, British period drama, the crown style politics, backroom power plays. A lot of intrigue. Yeah, a lot of intrigue. But like, come on. (laughs) It's just I don't know. It's sometimes it's like it feels like that's all he can write. And it's just kind of it's just kind of it's despite being it is like both action packed and boring. (laughs) <laughs> if, you can, if you can go there so i am not sure what to think about this serial yet but I, we got plenty more to go right so yeah well let's see i'm i'm just trying to take stock here we had kurt we had Who? zephan which one's kurt kurt was the guy with the bum leg yeah in the jungle the oh bread. yeah so we had kurt we had zephan uh-huh. we got katrina and yep and, was it uh, uh kirk Kendall? kirkson or kirkson sorry we had Brett. Okay, it's a we're up a, there. It's yeah. a decent. Well, we 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 also had um uh Brett's Brett's uh, Daxter. Daxter. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. We so, killed Daxter too. So, uh, for some reason, that's actually a pretty considerable body count for four episodes. Uh-huh. But it also felt kind of like more. The Daleks really didn't kill a lot of people. No. In fact, they probably killed more Daleks than anybody else. Yeah. That's fair, actually. I so far they killed Kurt, Zephon, and a bunch of the Dalek patrol ship. I mean, and I guess like um, you know, depending on how powerful those engines are, like uh, Borge and Garg might be floating <laughs> 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 through the afterlife too. Uh, true, true. So, Bay, what do you want to give this? You have a thumbs up, thumbs down, or a mess so far? Oh yeah, no, I, I'm I'm definitely a thumbs up. I think there's like a lot of weird stuff with the evil council, evil space administrators. Right. I just still think that it's hilarious that we've got I don't know Ming the Merciless <laughs> as our space president, and he's blue. Like, what is happening? Who elected this guy? And why can he just turn the keys over <laughs> to our our solar system to the Dalek? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't anybody watch when, like, President Trump goes to Mar-a-Lago? He's supposed to be on vacation. There, there, there are plot holes that you could drive a Mack truck through. That being said, I really enjoy it, and I would give it a thumbs up. <laughs> There are Terry Nation-sized plot holes all over the place. Like, I am just, I, I guess I'm just ashamed to admit that, like, it's pro- it's like, a, it's it's sad how little that it's probably going to have to do to get, like, I feel like a thumbs up from me is lurking in there somewhere and it makes me hate myself. <laughs> Dan, what did you think? Uh, I would probably give this a thumbs up. I enjoyed watching it and I didn't find the, uh, the plot all that complicated. I, there's a lot of unnecessary twists and turns yeah but it was pretty straightforward and easy to follow and 
I liked the action. I wasn't a fan of the fact that Katarina got iced in the way that she did, uh, <laughs> yeah. but that happened. Uh, so I would I would go with I, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, but I think I really like this type of of science fiction, so it's I'm pretty easily pleased on it. Maybe if I I cared more about like tighter writing or tighter plot, I wouldn't like it as much. But I I recommend it. So yeah, we'll move on to. I figure we'll do the viewing numbers for these first four episodes, since that's a lot to unpack. So all of these were between 9 and 10 million viewers, so a bit of a bump, but not really the Dalek bump that they've been used to getting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And none of the episodes for this one made it into the top 20. So yeah, it's a little unusual that they're not seeing these numbers from the Daleks anymore. Hmm. It's almost like they did too much of a good thing. Right, like they overplayed their hand a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like if doing 12 Dalek episodes a year might have been just too much. Who didn't? Who thought? Some of the reactions to these first four episodes. At the time, after episode four, they got a number of <laughs> notes from people. One woman wrote a note saying that Doctor Who was now banned in her house after <laughs> the horror of that last episode. Yes. And episode four is one of the first big examples of people complaining that Doctor Who is getting too violent. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I can see it. I mean, like, even to me, like, I was, like, I wasn't, by now, right, people getting sucked out into space is totally a trope, right? Yeah. But, like, for me, like, again, the dwelling shot of their corpses yeah. floating around, I <laughs> thought was, much. like, it, it shocked even my modern sensibilities, yeah. just a touch. And to then, you know, I mean, people would have been used to, yeah, these random characters are going to get killed on Doctor Who, But you're not used to having, this is the first time you have not one, but two people who have been on board the TARDIS, who have had plenty of development, and then they both get killed in this one episode. Uh Uh-huh. Brutal. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a pretty brutal episode. There's like a bit of schadenfreude for me, where I'm like, oh, yes, British you know, mothers were like, this is terrible. Like, I kind of love that they're writing into the BBC, uh, you know, uh, th- that makes this episode better. Right. Me. No publicity is bad publicity, right? As so they say. This is like the frog baseball of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Was that a Beavis and Butthead reference? It, it was. Oh my Good God. one. It, I I would say it might be the episode that, that launched a thousand Mary Whitehouses. Oh, God. No, don't mention that woman's name yet. <laughs> Mary Whitehouse, one of the greatest villains in the history of Doctor Who, but that's not for about 10 more years. <laughs> oh, okay. And I guess we'll just do a quick wrap-up on Adrian Hill, our shortest-lived, had literally-lived <laughs> companion in the classic series, appearing in all of five episodes. She has only a single episode that still exists and a few minutes of a clip that cuts off right before her big death scene, which was extremely saddening to her that that no longer existed. Yeah. I hope she went on to bigger, better things. Well, not really. No, Um, I I read her Wikipedia bio. Yeah, this was one of her last roles on television. 
She did a few other smaller roles, but mostly after this, she moved around a few a bit. She moved to the Netherlands, spent some time there in the U.S., and then ended up going back to Britain, where she worked as a drama teacher up until her death from cancer in 1997. And that's about all I have to say. I, a, a really dark place of in my heart. I was like, when she was sucked into space. <laughs> As you can imagine, Katerina does not really get too many stories in the, you know, fan writing circles or anything like that. Although apparently there is one where the doctor meets her in the afterlife or something. So that's a thing that happens in some comic or something. But yeah, that's about it for Katerina. We hardly knew her. I don't even know if we could give our thoughts on her other than to say she was there. She died an impressive death. <laughs> she had potential. If only sh- people wanted to write for her. With just everything about that makes me sad. <laughs> I feel sad for the actress. I feel sad for the characters. But yeah, so that's it for this time. Next time we'll be back to talk about episodes five through eight, including... Our first Doctor Who Christmas special. <gasps> Stoked. <laughs> so, Bay, Andy, say your goodbyes. I'll, yeah, I'll see you on the other side of the airlock, folks. I'll always think of you as one of the daughters of the gods. <laughs> uh, this is Dan. I'm glad to be back, and I hope we'll be back again. Goodbye. And so I guess I'll end this by saying that if you're ever in an airlock, make sure to push the right button. Good night, everybody. See you next time.